Keep your eye on the ball, kid. I'll send you a pop fly deep to left. Okay. Here they come. All 52 or 63 MLB left fielders. Dynasty. It's time for Dingers. This is Dingers, way more than fantasy baseball. We keep it real when we talk and knock it straight out the park. <laughs> Let's see the stats. What's the average draft position? What kind of plays you making? Check the wins above replacement. Check the lineups and the points. This I gotta see. What's your path to victory? Are they aiming for a dynasty? Get points going head to head. Please don't do me no favors. We're always watching waivers. Ain't no minor league. This is major. Yeah, Dingers. Let's go. Welcome to Dingers, the only fantasy baseball podcast for smart people. It's not just Matt Kemp that wins you championships. That's why week in and week out, we're delivering tips and strategies to help you live that straight up OG lifestyle. I'm Tyler Childs. Joining me again, Robbie Baseball. What's happening tonight, Robbie? Uh, just enjoying a break uh, from work before I go in real early tomorrow and cook food for people. Uh, baseball spring training's underway, and I know you're not going to mention any of the stats, Ty. Life's good. How are you? I love spring training statistics. <laughs> they are the best. And we were talking about it before we jumped on. Ryan Debster, great tweet yesterday. Said he searched through boxes of boxes of baseball cards and couldn't find spring training stats. It's kind of making a joke of people overreacting to good starts, bad starts, number of people getting hit by baseballs, stuff like that. Just for anybody who's not sure what Ty is going to be talking about throughout this episode, it will mainly be spring training stats. <laughs> I, I think they're very underappreciated. I, I don't look at the stats alone. I look at what's happening, where they're hitting the ball versus their traditional spray. Uh, there's a lot of high-level analysis that I do, um, and, and it's mainly just MLB TV on repeat. Okay, well, if, if you're going to be spouting that, can we at least uh, hit the beers and bourbon train here so I can, I can manage the night? A long time ago, someone decided to put stuff in glass bottles. In some of these bottles, they put juice or milk, and that was stupid. Today, only alcohol and a few other products remain in the containers from the gods. It's time for beers and bourbon, because good advice only comes in a bottle. Well, Robbie, ooh, ooh pop, what do you pop. got there? So tonight I'm trying something different because I do have a very early start to the workday tomorrow. I'm drinking me a sober carpenter, white, non-alcoholic craft beer. Oh, can I get you a beer, a uh, back bacon? Yeah, well, that would that would go well with this non-alcoholic thing, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty good. It certainly smells drinkable. So I will let you know as I go. But the big thing was just that I needed something in me because I know this is going to be a rough episode listening to you defend some of your rankings. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I am sans beer tonight. Um, for those of you that don't speak the language, that is without. And uh, you may recognize that term from things like sans serif a font joke for those of you that are big font guys um probably not crickets yeah. <laughs> anyway so left field is a interesting position robbie as as i know um we recognized before we jumped on here but um how do people pick on our left field rankings 
How do they pick on it? What do you mean? Where do they pick on it? Where do they pick on it? Wow. Talk about poor transitions. Really really missed the segue there. Boom. Okay. Let's do a, let's do an edit. Three, two, one. How do they pick on it? You said, well, they go to the Twitter. That's how they can hit us up at dingers pod at Robbie baseball one or at tourney boss. And if they want to DM me at Robbie baseball one, as some of the smart listeners have been, I will happily hand over every list that we have gone through taking screenshots because I haven't finished making everything look pretty, but you, the listener will get those. So you just have to listen in, let us know which ones you want and the lists are yours to have hold forever. So something that Ty and I did discuss before, as you will know, as we go through, you're not going to hear the hot prospects who have yet to have an MLB at bat ranked as a left fielder. You also will not hear them as center field or right field when we do those episodes because we are going to do a sum up episode because we really don't know where in the heck everyone's going to end up. So we don't want to specialize for all those leagues that are left, right, and center. We want to do an overall outfield and then you can make your best guess at where you think those prospects are going to land just as we will. Uh, But really, we need to know where they're going to actually play before we can say, this guy's, you know, the second best prospect left fielder. Cause we think Joe Adele, his only option is going to be left field. Uh, but you never know what's going to happen. He might get called up because trout, you know, gets hurt and then he's a center fielder. So um, that's how we're going to break it down for everybody tonight. I did skip ahead a little bit and I don't know. Do you want to circle back? We do have some Tommy John news. Absolutely. And that's definitely. First on our list today, that's Luis Severino of the New York Yankees. Gonzo, see him in 2021. And definitely crippling for an already thin Yankees rotation. Very top heavy. Now it's very just heavy in general. Yeah, they've got Tanaka, who uh, we never know when that's all going to collapse on him uh, with with that arm. And now I've been hearing a few different different things from other fantasy baseball folks talking about, does this mean, you know, uh, Lozania is now in, does this mean Jordan Montgomery is in, um, are they going to go back further? Sessa is this, you know, is Debbie Garcia going to be up earlier? And I think if I am somebody looking to pick through Yankees and try to sort this rotation out so you can try to find value, you're not going to find it. Everybody is going to be looking and going deep in with Yankees right now. And it's not going to work out because, in all likelihood, they'll find a deal somewhere. They will make maybe Minnesota's got a new outlook on things now um, with the depth of their rotation. Maybe there will be something that pops up somewhere else, San Diego, Seattle. There are options for major league pitchers that could be had at any point in time. I would just say avoid the Yankees that you don't already own unless somebody is trying to deal you some of your roster fodder for one of those guys. It's not worth it. And we know Ty, one guy in a league who owns a a salary league who owns Severino and his contract is up at 2022. I think it's like 32 million of a $208 million cap. So, you know, about 15% of his cap is tied up in Severino. He's contemplated openly in our league chat, just dropping him to save himself 16 million bucks. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't bury him on the IL at that money, but that's, that's a different conversation. Yeah, I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that 
he doesn't want to find himself in a situation where he can't trade him in say June or July. If the guys that he does head into the season with get hurt, I know he's on a competitive team or he, he has a competitive team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I've seen him dealt in one league already and he went to a team that is an absolute disarray. And, uh, there were two good players on that team and they both got traded in the Severino deal. <laughs> and I'm looking at this team thinking, weren't you like three and 19 last year? And now you're going to be worse. So and, you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. yeah. So I'm coming <laughs> out of the basement. Um, but this team is so bad. It's a points league and they still have Andrew Jones slated in their starting outfield. Ugh. So, and the guy just made a trade acquiring Severino and didn't drop Adam Jones. And like there are Cameron Mabin is out there. We're going to talk about him shortly, but there are players out there that can help you no matter the size of your league, the smaller the league, the more picky you get to be. Um, just like we like to have picky people leave us lovely podcast reviews. We do appreciate the new reviews. Again, thank you so much to all the new listeners. We are enjoying pumping this content out for you and we greatly appreciate your feedback. If it is in the form of a five-star review, we greatly appreciate you. If you have some uh, critiques, criticisms, we're always open to hear them. We do want to get better each and every episode. So you can, again, hit us up at Twitter, at RobbieBaseball1. I am a sensitive soul, but I can handle it. Uh, at Tourney Boss can throw straight fire at you for any and all criticisms. Um, and at Dinger's Pod, the intern is very kind to everybody. <laughs> yeah, so with all that said, Robbie, let's get into this. This is... Uh... One of the scariest positions for me, uh, this is where you love to do your deal finding. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Um, this is a position I'm either addressing really early or have addressed in the offseason. So that's just a difference between our styles. And ultimately, you see this as opportunity. I see this as how can I be as safe as possible. Um, and that's what makes these rankings great is that we're trying to balance out those two reality so Robbie's going to lead us through the pile of fodder that is the back end of this position uh, <laughs> keep in mind that these are guys that are either already playing on the edge of major league time or will um, play some of that fourth and fifth outfielder role in the next couple of years and then eventually we'll move into guys that are actually worth talking about yes and just to get through how we have broken everything down eight by eight categories we're counting runs rbis home runs stolen bases walks average OPS and as a negative category K's. So if you hear us say five category guy, the typical setup in fantasy is a five by five. So a five category guy would help you in all five of those categories, unless we mention otherwise saying it would be somebody who would help you with OPS, not necessarily average. There will be a very specific guy, very highly ranked guy who will be fitting in that mold for me later tonight. Uh, as well, in order to be on the left field list, you have to have that as your primary position in 2019. So we will go over players who you might think should be somewhere else. We've actually had to revise our own list after somebody whose name will not be mentioned um, accidentally had players in at other positions in our rankings. And now that we've sorted it all out through the magic of the fan tracks host site, um, we are using whoever had or whatever position was their dominant as their standard position. So I will dive in ooh, off the top here. The list is 63 deep. And if you know who the first guy is, I am surprised. Number 63, Andrew Stevenson of Washington. Number 62, Kevin Kramer of Pittsburgh. 
Number 61, Rafael Ortega of Atlanta. That's a 28-year-old, not a prospect up and coming. Number 60, Carlos Gonzalez, who signed just recently a minor league deal with Seattle. Number 59, Charlie Culberson of Atlanta. 58, Austin Dean of St. Louis. 57, uh, oh, sorry, we had Kramer on here twice. Adam Duvall of Atlanta, number 56, number 55, Philip Irvin of Cincinnati, number 54, Robbie Grossman of Oakland, number 53, Tim LaCostro of Arizona, number 52, Chad Pinder of Oakland, and number 51, Greg Allen. Um, I don't know if there's anybody really to talk about on this list. For me, there's three that are worth mentioning. Okay. Um, Cargo could be a really interesting one um, as, a, as a depth piece. Like, there's just too much caliber there in his career for him to go off the way he – into the sunset the way he has. I, I just – I'm hoping there's more there. Uh, is it going to happen? No guarantee. Do I want to see it? Absolutely. It'd be he, great if he did the Hunter Pence thing. You know, that's like right. if he reworked his swing and that would be yeah, the he, best case scenario. I just – he was such a big part of, of so many of my championships – that I, I want good for him in the back half of his career. Um, the other ones that I think are interesting are uh, Philip Irvin. We talked about him earlier. There's probably a little bit of ability here, but the depth in that Cincinnati outfield probably means the value for him is not really going to be there. The one that I think is a bit of a wild card is Austin Dean, who went from Miami to St. Louis just a couple weeks ago. And I think th- there's something there. Uh, it's, it's a very unusual acquisition for St. Louis. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that. And I like the way St. Louis does things. And I usually like to own St. Louis players. So I'm watching Austin Dean. He's just an interesting guy that I want to see if he can turn some mild productivity into some actual success. Okay. And I guess if we're going to mention anybody, Robbie Grossman is the guy who I think had the most at-bats of this list last year, 480 with Oakland not a single category that you would be excited to have him on your lineup. So if you are rostering Robbie Grossman, you might want to consider dropping him for anyone that we are about to mention as uh, Ty, are you taking us from 50 to 40? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, at 50, Tim Lopes say former Toronto Blue Jays prospect from long ago has bounced around several times. Now finds himself in the Jerry DePoto funhouse, and ultimately uh, I have him ranked 51, right about where he's at. Robbie had him a little bit higher at 43. See, so a little more upside. Ahead of him is a guy that Robbie loves even more is Josh Van Meter. Uh, I have Van Meter at 55. I, I don't really have anything against Van Meter. I just don't love him with the depth again in Cincinnati. Same reason we talked about Irvin earlier. Ahead of him, Ben Gamble in Milwaukee. Just a guy that's kind of there and always just there. Kind of the fourth outfield extraordinaire, going to pick up some at-bats and be mildly productive off of the bench. Jason Martin in Pittsburgh is somebody that's going to see some time either this season or next um, in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, he's, he's doesn't have really anyone in front of him. Gerard Dyson is tagged as the starting center fielder in Pittsburgh. Nothing to, you know, get overly excited about with Gerard Dyson anymore. So I think ultimately there is an opportunity for, for Martin to steal some time. Uh, still has a little bit of shine as a prospect. So, um, potential there. Alex Dickerson ahead of him in San Francisco. 
uh, Matt Beattie ahead of him. Beattie's a guy that Rob, you love a little bit. I've I've owned him in the past. Uh, again, kind of in the conversation we talked about, just depth is going to hurt him. Dwight Smith Jr. ahead of Beattie at 44 in Baltimore. Anthony Alford in Toronto, uh, former top prospect, losing his steps every single day. Um, Mike Talkman ahead of him, and Ryan Braun rounds us off at 41. So in that group, who are you watching? Who are you staying away from, Rob? Alex Dickerson in San Francisco, I have ranked the highest in this group. I have him at 32. Um, opportunity to play and a big park for a guy who's not going to need to mash a bunch of home runs to be effective. So I like that. He's 30 years old. This is just a veteran who I think can kick around for a few years. This isn't somebody who's going to change the lineup for you. I think you you hit the nail on the head um, to match well with my sober carpenter beer that I'm drinking um, and using um, carpentry terms that um, Jason Martin, who I couldn't remember his name until I st- was staring at it, has a prime opportunity in Pittsburgh, like you said. Uh, really good stats. I think in 17, he was good somewhere in the high teens for homers. And then in 18, he was 23 homers in between, I think, high A and double A. And maybe that was double A, triple A. But last year was not a great year for him. But in this weak Pittsburgh system with the new front office, the opportunity should be there for him possibly to start this year, but definitely to see a couple hundred at-bats. Neither of us haven't ranked any higher. 41 for you is the high. I've got him at 49. But this is the kind of guy that you keep your eye on. And if you can pick him up from a rookie draft or if he's just sitting on free agency and you're out in free agency or waivers and you're allowed to pick up a rookie, consider it. You know, it's, it, somebody might get hurt. Somebody, um, you know, might have some kind of behavioral issue and now they're not really going to get that chance anymore. Jason Martin's a guy in Pittsburgh who could get that Van meter, the outfield so darn clogged in Cincinnati. It makes things tough for him. He might end up on the infield, but we're going to need to see an injury. Uh, Tim Lopes, same, same deal. He could play all around. He's 26 Van meters, 25. A lot of the other guys on here in their mid to late twenties, like uh, Smith and Beatty, and exactly like you said, Ty, in LA, it's really hard to be a, a bench bat that's effective for fantasy. And BD had a couple of good stretches last year, and that might be what he can do for you. As far as Talkman is concerned, I just don't see the 28-year-old coming back and taking first base from anybody. Uh, it's a clogged first base in New York. The outfield is going to be – well, we already know the outfield is is only going to be for injuries and for Clint Frazier to be ignored in. So <laughs> – I don't like any Yankee guy like that, but you were right last year in saying that crowded infield was going to sort itself out, and it did. Maybe Talkman's a guy to take a flyer on. He's not a secret anymore, so you're probably going to have to pay something for him. Yeah, and and for me, that's the problem. Like, I think you're going to overpay for Talkman. I think there was no real scouting report on him last year. I think he kind of had that rookie boost that we see a lot, where hey, we're not going to really try to. Th- throw you the tough off-speed stuff until you prove that you're capable of beating us. And with that rest of that roster being as good as it is, I think he had an even more, more even more of a kind of an outlier, outlier in terms of his quality uh, last season. So I, I'm definitely staying away from Talkman. I think Clint Frazier is going to steal that job from him. They're not going to take at-bats away from Gardner or Judge unless there's an injury. So realistically, Talkman's the guy that kind of gets the boot. And, you know, beyond that, um, you know, Jason Martin is kind of a poor man, Brian Reynolds, uh, who kind of had a similar slow roll onto the scene last year with Pittsburgh. I could see 
Jason Martin gaining some traction there as well. And then Anthony Alford is a sell in every single possible scenario you can come up with. If you can get any value, do it now. Um, this is Dalton Pompey 2.0. Yeah, it it's unfortunate, especially because he was the football turned baseball guy, all the skills in the world, and got really hyped up. It's just not happening. I, so, I can I can tell you right now, he keeps pointing the tip of his bat towards the pitcher before he starts his swing. Show me another major league player that does that and is a successful hitter. So until they correct that or he corrects that, you're never going to see him succeed at the major league level. There's just too much going on in that swing. Fair. I, I do agree. It's just not happening with him. So that's not the that's not the best list. Now I will read off 40 through 31, and you'll see how things don't get a whole lot better. At uh, 40 is Matt Kemp. Uh, you can blame Ty for him being at 40. Number 39, Alex Gordon. Number 38, Dylan Moore. Sorry, I should say Matt Kemp is in Miami this year. Gordon in Kansas City. Dylan Moore in Seattle. Brian Goodwin, Los Angeles Angels at 37. Derek Fisher, number 36. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Till you... Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize how high Ty had him ranked. I'm not going to tell you, the listener. Ty gets to do this one. Uh, number 35, Jay Bruce in Philly, 33-year-old, good for 25 homers every year. Uh, off, off the bench maybe this year, we'll see. Uh, number 34, Harold Ramirez, Miami, former Toronto Blue Jay, had a really good entry last year with Miami, then cooled right off. Number 33, Joanna Cespedes, not quite sure why he's up this high. Number 32, Chris Taylor of the Dodgers. And number 31, 26-year-old Christian Stewart of Detroit. So I know you have to talk about Derek Fisher at 36 because you have him considerably higher. The only guy in this group that I want the listeners to keep an eye out for is Dylan Moore. The guy played eight positions last year. That includes a relief pitcher appearance. And, and not like other than the relief pitcher appearance, not one time was he at one position. He was at several positions several times. Depending on what Seattle wants to do, this could be your super utility guy. No, he doesn't hit 300, have an 800 OPS, but he can help you with injuries so that you don't have to make some kind of horrific emergency trade or signing or just punt on a position for a day or a week, depending on your league setup. He's kind of a perfect 26 man, but you really need to have the right league dynamic to take a guy like this. And then if he does get hot, awesome. So Ty, uh, I need to know about Derek Fisher and who else? And uh, who was another top guy here? I'd like to know a little bit about Cespedes. You have him at 29. Absolutely. So I'll start with Cespedes because that's an easy one. This is a guy that is borderline MVP a couple years ago. Yeah, he's had some injury problems. Yeah, he fought a pig. But, oh, well, he's still a good baseball player <laughs> as, long, <laughs> as long as he can stay on the field. Um, there's some potential here. And, and, again, the upside versus the rest of this group isn't really even close, right? So, for me, if you were to remove the potential for more injury from Cespedes, I would have him higher, to be honest with you. Um, this is a, is a healthy – if he's healthy, he's a top 10 left fielder. But obviously, we, we don't expect that to be the case all the way through the next five seasons. But if we get three out of those five, I think he fits just inside the top 30 or right at 30 uh, where I have him. So um, that's ultimately why I have him there, just because the upside is so much higher 
than the rest of this group. Uh, when it comes to Derek Fisher, there's enough there for me to pay attention. Um, I certainly understand people's fear. Um, but, you know, ultimately, if you, if you look at his minor league numbers, um, there's, there's some scary stuff in there. And I just think the Jays are, are recognizing the bat speed here. I think the physical ability in the outfield is going to play. Although he wore a fly ball off the face last year, I do think <laughs> you he's... brought that up more than anyone else <laughs> as well, which is great. I, I mean, if you're a major league player, you should not get you hit in the face that. with a fly ball. I'm yeah. sorry. Like that, I, you deserve to be made fun of forever um, on that basis. But the power is very, very real. He looks like a guy to me. I've, I've watched his at-bats really closely because, you know, if you go back, we were so upset when we acquired him. Um, but I've paid a lot of attention to him over the the interim. The bat speed is ridiculous. I see what the Jays see. I think there's a little bit of polish left here. And, and similar to what I mentioned on Cespedes, I, I think the upside's there. I think he's going to play. I think he's versatile. And I think he could help spell in center. But I think he's going to be the primary right fielder for the Jays this season at some point. I don't know that he wins the job out of camp, but I do think he will eventually take over that position. Okay, that's fine. And and you did have uh, Matt Kemp also ranked 30th. So yes. I'm just curious because I know that's yeah, I, high. I, I think he's going to shift to first base this season. I don't think there's a ton of competition with Aguilar and Cooper at first base in Miami. And I think it unlocks a little bit of potential. Two years ago, he was an MVP, right? The Dodgers buried him in the second half for whatever reason. Uh, after a strong start, and he he didn't really get a shot last year. I think the bat is still there. They just need to remove him from the defensive strain uh, of a left fielder. So that's why I have him. I think realistically you sign, find him in the first base uh, DH role at some point, kind of similar to what we saw Nelson Cruz the last couple of years. I could see Matt Kemp finding himself in a very similar scenario. Okay. All right, I like it. There are just causes, people. Um and I think that's a really important thing in your dynasties. We talk about it all the time. Maybe you're in a rebuild. Maybe you're trying to reset or something. But you need to play each and every week or each and every season. Uh, there's no point in spending money in a league to punt a season if you can't get something out of it. You need to be, at the worst, you need to be finding the, the Matt Kemps of your league so that you can turn them into something that can help you for the next year because if you're going to spend money even if it's a free league really even if it's a free league you need to be building for something so that you're enjoying the time that you're dedicating to it and by taking a look at the matt camps of the world perhaps you can find that and i mean realistically the investment needs to be next to nothing on a guy like that at this point so well and we've talked about it in pre yeah and we've talked about it in previous episodes how you need to have probably one of these guys on every roster right you need a flyer that you're going to get super late value on. So Kemp, Cespedes, Derek Fisher are those guys. All three of those carry the best upside of that group. And ultimately, they could also be complete failures, but that's what late round picks are for. Exactly. If you're and, taking a rookie nobody's heard of with your late round pick, um, you may as well just switch that up and take somebody who's going to have a shot at MLB time this year. Absolutely. I totally agree. Jumping in inside of our actual top 30, uh, leading off is Cameron Maben, maybe one of the more underappreciated fantasy guys out there. Uh, he's going to get you at bats. Uh, he plays great defense still. 
he's probably going to be the best hitter on Detroit uh, after CJ Cron. Had so, a great bounce back last year. Yeah, he did. Like, I mean, he's never really been bad, right? Like, he just his biggest problem is that he was expected to be a superstar and just never was, right? So he he has a very reasonable career for a major league player. So um, you put that on top of great defense, and all of a sudden. You know, he's a worthwhile guy to have. So, ahead of him is the Asian import in Tampa Bay, Susugo. Uh, Domingo Santana, ahead of him in Cleveland, recently signed a couple weeks back here uh, with the Indians. Uh, Ramil Tapia in Colorado at 27. Mike Kostremski in San Francisco at 26. Andrew McCutcheon back from injury this season, playing for the Philadelphia Phillies. Will Myers, who looks like he's calling San Diego home. Um, Potentially changes my approach on Will Myers. Uh, I was excited to see him go to Boston. Um, Jesse Winker in Cincinnati has all the talent, just not all the splits. Uh, Corey Dickerson in Miami at 22. What a great pickup for Miami that was. Yeah, um, and, Jake that ba- and Jake Bowers at 21 rounds off that group. So of that list, uh, Robbie is overly excited about Jake Bowers in Cleveland. So why don't you hit hit me with why you have him ranked 15th? Okay. So Jake Bowers is young. He finished last year as a 23-year-old. It was a season in which he had 372 major league at-bats. Was the power there? No. He had, he had 12 dingers. This is the wild, crazy era of swing and miss. His K rate was high. It was 115. He only had 45 walks. But he still had a pretty good OBP over 300. The OPS was really low at 683. So this tells me that this is time for Ty's post. What is it? Team post hype. Words Hello. There it is. Hello, Lionel. Hello, everybody. Team post hype, Jake Bowers. Prime for a bounce back. And he is going to be one of the guys who has a position in Cleveland. We've talked about how difficult it's going to be in Tampa Bay. We'll continue to talk about how difficult it's going to be in Tampa Bay for players to, who struggle to stay in the lineup. It's always been like that in Colorado. Cleveland has found a way to make it difficult for them. No matter how crappy a position seems to be, they won't let somebody run with it. But Jake Bowers should get that chance this year. Um, Carlos Santana came back from the dead last year and took first base and forced Bowers to go elsewhere, which became left field. So now he's going to be comfortable this year. It's that whole, you know, he's used to the situation coming in. Nothing is new. He'll know the hotels they're staying at. He knows where to go and eat out of town. He knows how to take care of himself. He's now going to be, the, I hope, the consummate professional. And we should very safely, I will say, see a, a big bump for him. If he had 372 at-bats last year and he gets somewhere north of 500, this is a guy who's going to give you 20-plus dingers he's going to get you somewhere north of 70 walks and rbi should be up in the slow 70s i'll say and he's chipping in a couple stolen bases single digits nothing crazy but this is somebody who i think can really do more damage with the ops and if you're in an obp league he can do more with that as well by getting a few more walks and just being a little more patient i like him the most in this league because of the potential he is the youngest one on this list by five years, three years, Jesse Winker's next. And Winker's a beast, but like you said, Ty, it's the splits. And Cincinnati is by far the most clogged outfield for an NL team, and it could really hurt Winker yet again. He could be a points league beast 
because he could get in on a weekend series and get you two or three um, extra base hits, home runs, whatever, and put up somewhere in the teens for points just over the course of three days if he gets a few uh, solid solid days at the plate. But um, otherwise, this is a really, like, to me, miss-type category or, or chunk than it is a real hit. Like, I don't think a lot of these guys we're going to see ever in the top 10. Um, you know, Yastrzemski came on, had a great rookie campaign, but he's, he's 29, you know, like this, this isn't, and he's not a, not a huge power hitter. This is somebody who's in a huge ballpark. So he's got to crack the, the snot out of the ball. Tapia, Colorado, 26. I think he's just a really good bench player. He's going to play center field in Colorado. He runs like the wind. Yeah, I, I just don't know that he's going to get all the at-bats to do. Like, I, I would like to see it. Of course I would. But I, I, as a fantasy owner, I am I am going to have to find room as like the 25th, 26th guy on my roster for him. And that's going to be hard to do because I'm not going to pencil him in as a starter. I'm going to try to find somebody. Even Domingo Santana in Cleveland could clog things up a bit for Bowers. But Domingo Santana's only had two good MLB seasons. And, and part of one of those two was last year with Seattle. And I don't see him able being able to repeat the decent stretch he had at the start of the year because well, the rest think, of the year was subpar. Yeah, and I and I think if you look at Colorado, um, you know, you look at their center field depth chart right now. They've got David Dahl listed in center. Like he's way too injury prone to be running him out in center field. He's so, the left fielder too. Correct. So that's like, why Tappy is going to play center field though. He's the guy because after that they've got Sam Hilliard. And uh, Yoran Dazer, whatever his first name is. So there's nobody that's going to take that center field spot from Tapia, in my opinion. So it's it's his spot to lose. I mean, Charlie Blackman could do the job, but he's they, a right fielder, though. Yeah, well, he's a center fielder by trade, but at his age and what they need out of him, like he needs to play right field. Yeah. So you know that's just the reality, and that's why I like Tapia a little bit more than you do because I I see a pat. Well, I guess we're about the same, but. Um, you know, I, I see Tapia as, as a guy that could be a really nice upside guy that you can get a little bit later at the position. I, I think he's a little bit higher floor, which, again, we talk about all the time. That's the kind of guys that I like to get later. So the nice part about Tapia is he's probably going to get multi-position. He's probably going to play left and center throughout the season. So you're probably going to get access to multiple positions at some point. And the deeper the league, the more valuable that is. So the other guy in this group, that I think it's worth drawing some attention to is Will Myers. A lot of people look at him and have said, oh, his production has fallen off. He's not the same guy, blah, da, 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 But his at-bats are just way down the last couple of seasons. He had a big injury in 2018 that only got him 83 games. And last season, the outfield was just crowded in San Diego. They were trying to find out what they had with Hunter Renfro, which was basically nothing except for home runs. Um, Manuel Margot, you know, is still nothing. They traded him away. So there's going to be some at-bats for Will Myers in, in San Diego this year. And I think if he gets those at-bats, I think he's going to flirt with 30 home runs again, especially with that lineup. Um, so I can see Will Myers with a big bounce back this year. I have him ranked much higher uh, than you do. Uh, he's, he's listed as their starting right fielder. The only real threat to his position is Frenchy Cordero or Josh Naylor. I don't think they're going to steal that from him. Um, Tommy Pham could or could not play left field. So there's going to be, you know, some options out there. I, I don't know that Trent Grisham is going to be the starting center fielder. Um, they, they seem to like him. Like, I don't, it's NL too, right? Like, so it is a different beast. They move the guys around a lot. But to me, like, Will Myers is your 
right fielder by default. But if you if San Diego is doing well, he's either a big reason for that because he has sorted himself out or he's not playing. Well, I just and, think he's going to get the most at-bats of that outfield. Yeah, right? you think he... Well, yeah, I do. As long as he doesn't I'm get hurt. Fam, I mean, Fam's going to get the most. He's Fam's going to be locked in as left field. Um, Fam his should. OVP is amazing. He'll, he'll, he should hit pretty high up in that lineup, like two maybe even. I'm just predicting Fam doesn't have the, the most consistent track record either. So I just... I'm, I'm going to make a bold prediction that Will Myers this season has more productive season. Um, and it's and a lot of people aren't going to like that, and I'm fine with that. Um, I, I also think that, you know, you're going to have a different kind of pressure in San Diego this season, and I think Will Myers has been through pressure the last couple of seasons, and I think he's just going to be able to you just walk through it a little bit better than some of these other guys. So, it, again, it's a bold take, and I'm 100% okay with it. Um, but I, I like him as a bounce back for this season with that roster getting just a touch more polished. Okay, I'm writing it in right now under <laughs> bold takes. Love it. And Will I mean, that's Myers. Again, we're talking about the same thing we talked about in the last group. You should have at least one of these guys on your roster, right? We're getting into those bold takes, guys. Doesn't mean they all have to be from one position like we're talking about tonight, but ultimately have a little risk. You, you're not going to win a championship without risk. So you have to, like, I, I play it very safe nine times out of 10. But that one out of 10 is, is a complete, and I will use it because it's on point, out of left field. Oh. Nailed it. Oh, that, that was clean. <laughs> I like that one. So before we move into our top 20, I'm just going to place a quick little thank you to Sport Travel Radio Network, who is our sponsor for this here lovely podcast that we are all getting to listen to tonight. I certainly hope that uh, anybody who has listened to some of their other podcasts have enjoyed the work. If you are into non-fantasy gambling, check out Poor Sports Podcast, where the boys there will learn learn you. Yep, that, that's going to work. <laughs> They'll learn you the ins and outs of how to pad your pockets with the best plays of the week. Tune in, Poor Sports Radio. Here we are into the top 20, hitting her off with J.D. Davis, New York Mets. You may have seen him on one of the other lists, but we have since revised. He is now a left fielder on the Dingers ranking. Number 19, Justin Upton, Los Angeles Angels. Number 18, Michael Brantley, Houston Trash Cans. Number 17, Tyler O'Neill, St. Louis. Number 16, Jack Peterson, Los Angeles Dodgers. Number 15, Willie Calhoun of Texas. And number 14, Eddie Rosario of Minnesota. Number 13, David Peralta of Arizona. Number 12, Kyle Schwoba of the Cubbies. Number 11, Tommy Pham. What would you like here, Ty? Would you like me to learn you a bit about Eddie Rosario and Willie Calhoun? Yeah, you might as well go on with those two because you love them. I, I did call the Willie Calhoun bounce back last season. He was a guy that I told everyone to buy starting last season. So I, I'm not saying he's not going to be a valuable player. I just think he's going to be a very consistent guy um, in the middle tier of, of this position. That's kind of, I don't see him as a superstar. You've got him a little bit closer to superstar. I'm, I'm just not ready to call him that. I have him ranked eighth. He fell in at 15 for us combined. Um, I loved what he did last year in some limited at bats, 309 at bats, 21 home runs. That's not a juice ball. That's a powerful swing. 
He had 48 RBIs, which means he had an awful lot of guys not on base for him. 23 walks, 53 strikeouts. That's fine. I'm, I'm good with both of those numbers. If he ended up, you know, somewhere in the two and a half to one, but he's not getting 150 Ks for you, because on a full season, that only puts him just over 100 Ks. That's, that's really good. The batting average, 269. So, you know, if he has one better weekend series next year, the average is going to be somewhere 273, 275. And we'd all love that. But the OPS is the rock solid thing here. 848 OPS. And that's not something that I think was a fluke for him. That's something that I think we could realistically count on. We weren't sure what his long-term outlook was going to be because he didn't have a position two years ago, one year ago. And Ty, something that I do want to make sure you talk about when we get into the top 10 is your theory behind why we're seeing some different guys playing center field. It's allowing guys like Willie Calhoun to play on the corners. So Absolutely. I'll talk. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Sorry, just before we move off Calhoun, um, I just look at Calhoun as a bit of a comparable to Kyle Schwarber. I think they're very similar players profile wise, like a real good power stroke. I think the, biggest difference in value for me between the two of them is the production around them. As you said, Calhoun didn't have a ton of people on base in front of him. There's not a, a lot of great OPS on that roster outside of maybe Chu. Um, you're going to see a slugging inflated OPS from Gallo. Uh, but you know what? Like there's just not a ton of production around him. And that's why I don't have him ranked as high. Uh, I do have Schorber slightly ahead here. And, and that's the big outcome for me is I just think I think the Cubbies roster is better than most people think. Um, they didn't really touch it and they're only a couple years removed from a World Series with a relatively similar roster. Fair enough. I've got Schwarber in at 14. You've got him at 11. And yes, similar profiles. Um, Schwarber's position was a little, well, the fact that we knew he was going to be able to be a major league player despite any potential position issues was easily set aside whereas for Willie Calhoun especially in 2018 it seemed to be something that may have been holding him up um Jock Peterson's a guy one of the few guys in in LA who has been able to make the limited at bats really work for him and I know we, like, we both had him ranked 16 I I've dropped him in 24 team points leagues before um just because I I couldn't have somebody on my roster I, I ended up taking Winker over Peterson last year in a league because I needed to drop somebody and I was not about to have somebody who I wasn't sure could produce as high as I thought Winker was going to um, mistake to me, of course, because he was scooped up right away and whatever happened. But um, JD Davis, the guy who I think is just going to get that left field job with the Mets, Michael Brantley, 33 year old. Uh, I think last, this is last year in Houston. And we have mentioned him before. We, we definitely see some potential with him to land somewhere else, but Eddie Rosario, this is the guy I had as my number six dude here. Um, and Rosario, since he broke in at age 23 has been a perfectly good MLB player. His average last year, 276 an 800 OPS on the nose. The years before that 803 and 836. Um, home runs he's been consistently in the 20s the last three years last year 32 so a power spike huge rbi spike to 109 and this is just going back again as we go through these episodes it's really obvious to tell who we think have powerhouse teams i think everybody knows minnesota should have a powerhouse team but rosario is another guy who should be able to repeat the rbi numbers and his runs which were at 91 should stay right there too and this isn't for one year this is for a couple more years 
that we could see really good production out of him. What I would love to see is his OBP get back up into the 320s where it was the previous two seasons. It was, you know, if you want to say he sold out for a little more power, I'm not buying it because he only had 86 strikeouts to 22 walks. So he's smacking the ball around enough, but he's got to be a little more patient and draw a few more walks. He's never been a big walk guy, but he, he does need to get that OBP back into the 320s for me, for him to really justify that sixth ranking. But I really like Rosario. And again, he's going into his age 28 season. This is prime time for some guys, and this is make or break for others. For me, this is prime time for Eddie Rosario. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, I, I have him ranked 22nd, and that's maybe a little far back for most people. Uh, I, I'm scared of Eddie Rosario because there's other outfielders in Minnesota that could steal at bats from him. If he goes through a month and a half slump, they're going to be looking to somebody else. And that's the thing that scares me. And there's no reason to put that kind of pressure on Rosario. He's done nothing in his career but be a consistent player. And so it's not that I don't think he's capable. It's that I just think there's also capable players around him that could steal his spotlight. And that's something that is is kind of a you know a scary proposition because if Donaldson is hurt um, in the middle of that lineup, production goes down. Um, you know, you don't know that you're going to have Nelson Cruz every day anymore, Like you just, you can't make these things or these assumptions in that if, if the production goes away from those other guys that hit 30 home runs last season, Garver could come back, right? There's a couple other guys in that group that could fall back. And ultimately if that's the case, Rosario's going to get pitched differently. And that's the part that scares me, um, is just how much tougher his at-bats could be this season. And they could not be, and I could be dead wrong, and I'm willing to admit that if that's the case. But he's a guy that I'm just a little bit, uh, you know, afraid of more so than 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 you, Robbie. Yeah, and I, I think for me, it's just the floor is so high, which is funny because that's what you <laughs> you talk about. But in this scenario, I, you just justified it. Like that's why we never have similar looking ball clubs. But at some point in each of our seasons, we're able to work out a deal because one of us is screwed up in one format <laughs> and is no longer competing. And we can make a deal because it's it makes sense to us at this point in time that well, the player and, we thought we had a, is not that guy. And that's a good thing to talk about. I think you and I are better than most at knowing when to cut bait. And I think ultimately some people make really bad long-term decisions when they're in these dynasty leagues. They try to get better fast, right? We, we joke about it all the time, the guys in some of our deeper leagues – oh, I'm going to compete this season. Cool. Sure you are. Uh, whereas the reality is they should just start looking to sell their short-term contracts to build for a future year. So, you know, I think you and I do a better job than most of rebuilding when we need to rebuild. Yeah. I, I'm also not afraid of having a season that is underwhelming if it means my long-term outlook has improved because I've made, you know, this deal and that deal. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't make me happy to know I'm not competing in a league when I want to, but I also do my best to try to make sure I have no worse than a 500 team when a season starts. I never try to win the off season. Uh, I, well, I think if there was the one time I did, it was probably 2018 when I picked up uh, Gary Sanchez in our home league. And I tried to really solidify myself with catcher and whatever else it was that I was doing. And um, it did not, pan out in the end because when you overinvest in one guy at a position that's really light and he gets hurt you're pooched and that's exactly what happened to me 
was my assets were gone when I needed them. So I, I kind of realized that it's not always the best thing to be the most aggressive guy in the league because you then be, can become the most vulnerable. But here we are. Enough talk. Let's talk. I got, I got two guys I want to talk about before we move on after your little in rant. The top there. 10? Okay, I'm oh, done because yeah. I want to get into the top 10 because we, we differ. Oh, big time. And so the two, there's two guys in this group that I, I love, like legitimately are two of my favorite guys. One of the guys that I think is always underappreciated and he's on a very sneaky good roster in Arizona is David Peralta. This is a guy that if you look at his numbers over the last five years, just as consistent as possible, um, a really undervalued guy in a deep format. So David Peralta, love him, love the addition of Starling Marte. Kettle Marte is, is going to be uh, a huge asset this year. That team is just much better. The rotation is maybe, at least in the conversation for the best in the major leagues, um, potentially. It, it has, everything has to break right for that to happen, but they're at least in the conversation. So that's a guy that, that I really like to go get. And then everyone knows my second guy. That's Tyler O'Neill. Love Tyler O'Neill. 2020 is the year for Tyler O'Neill. I thought 2019 was going to be it. So let's just take a step back. Tyler O'Neill for 2020. Um, he's going to win the democratic party election uh, <laughs> and ultimately hit a whole bunch of home runs. So that's the guy that I think you can buy right now, because I think he is in the beginning of entering team post hype. Hello. Age wise. Yes. It's me. His minor league numbers are gross. Before last season, it was something silly like a home run in every 6.8 at-bats. That is next level. So the power is real. I think St. Louis had a deep outfield. They've they've cleansed some of that. I think they're going to give Tyler O'Neill some time to sort himself out this season. Because if not, they might not be a playoff team. So ultimately, I think they have to push Tyler O'Neill to be a middle-of-the-order bat. So... Those are the two guys that I like in that group, Robbie. Let's get into the top 10 where, as you mentioned, we definitely disagree. Yeah. Um, Number 10 specifically, we have the biggest separation on. That's 12 ranking spots. Or, sorry, our average um, brought him in at 12. But number 10 for us, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, New York Yankees. I have him at 19, which you thought was offensive. And you have him at 5 which I think is foolish. So <laughs> do you want to defend your rank or do you want to attack mine? Cause I'm good with either. I will defend. Be- <laughs> I will defend because Stanton can't um, <laughs> ultimately that's the reason I actually have them ranked as high as I do, because I think you're, you're seeing the beginning of the end of, of Stanton as an outfielder. He's going to find himself playing either first base or DHing full-time for the Yankees at some point. He might spell off some at-bats like J.D. Martinez does for the Red Sox, but I think that's the role you can expect him to kind of fill moving forward. He's just had too many injuries. There's no reason to run him out there when you have good defenders and you have a young Clint Frazier just begging to play. Uh, There's no reason you shouldn't be running him out there. And I think even if you got three of the next five seasons of healthy Stanton, he's a top 10 guy on this list, no questions because of that. So – um, he just has maybe the most offensive upside of this whole list. Um, and, and so for that reason, I, I think he has to be ranked in the top 10. Maybe five's a little high, but um, I, I like his 
his upside a lot more than most of the other guys in the group. Okay, so here's why you're wrong. Stan's not a huge uh, injury risk in my estimation. When when I'm looking, I just I've got it pulled up here on Baseball Reference, uh, all the way back to 2010. So for full seasons, we've got one, two, three. Okay, that's 150 games or more. We've got one where he had 145. But as a Yankee, he's now a 30-year-old. He has had one full season and one whatever the heck it was that happened to him last year's season, and he only ended up with 59 at-bats. But just when I look over as somebody who would own him in Dynasty, do I need an outfielder with a 265 average, a 240 average, a 281 average, a 266 average? over the last five years well and that doesn't even count actually last year when he didn't help you realistically and only had the 60 at bats no i don't need that out of my outfield guy but the ops is where he has helped me 950 but then it's down to 815 and then it's at a thousand it's just it's volatile you know it's 850 it's 849 the floor for him is really high and that's why he's 19 for me because of the floor the problem is that if he's injured, you're getting nothing. So like you said, a bit of the injury fear. I was obviously joking when I said he's not an injury-prone player. He's only had three out of ten seasons that he's been a healthy player for. So that's where the concern lies for me is that I don't want to have this guy ranked high, or meaning I don't want to put a big investment into him because I don't think it's safe to say I can get that out of him. I will try to figure out where in the heck he landed the past few years overall in fantasy. We know he had the huge um, 2017 and then he got traded. And then 2018 was good. Like it was a good season, but everybody just kind of crapped on him. It's just that he, he 38 home runs last year. There were over 50 guys, I think 54 guys that hit 30 plus dingers. Yeah. But, but here's the you thing. You can find like, that production. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But here's the thing I'll defend him on and people overreact to his injuries and yeah, he's been injured. Cool. So have a lot of guys. Right, but over the last over his entire career, he has let's see, what do we got? Uh, one, two, three, four seasons with less than 500 at bats. Okay, so four out of 10, that's not awful, right? It's not great, it's certainly enough to scare you at some point. But if you look again, if we're talking about as a, as a five season average, which is what we're talking about, uh, I think there's enough value there to, to get excited because his 162 game average. Uh, is pretty healthy. It's uh, what do we average out at here? Uh, 43 home runs, two, 270 batting average with a 905 OPS. There's lots to like there. There's lots to like about his average, and that's why I have him as high because even with the volatility, the mountains are higher, maybe the valleys are lower, but somewhere uh, Marvin Gaye is happy with uh, Giancarlo <laughs> Stanton as a fantasy asset. I just see him as way more risk than the worthwhile um, reward. The strikeouts are always high. In, in 18, he had 211. That was his career high. The year before that in Miami, the MVP season, he had 163. That's far more tolerable. But the walks are not as high. He's not a 100-walk guy. He was 70 in 18. And in 17, he was 85. We, obviously, we're washing a year away. But that's also a year of everything else for him that might mean it's harder for him to return to that point. He's now going to be a 30-year-old. We're talking about his age 30 to 34 seasons. I'm just not seeing a top 10 production. Obviously, you are, and that's fine. And I, I don't disagree about a position change or a, a move to like the JD uh, DH thing. But at the same time, 
baseball is somewhat moving away from one guy that does just one thing. So I think they're going to want Stan to be moving around somewhere. And I can't imagine him at first base with all of those muscles, listen, not straining things. Yeah. Listen though. I mean, the amount of guys that have come to New York and their career has been over Paul O'Neill, Tino Martinez, Hideki Matsui, uh, David justice, like all of these guys over the years have stumbled into the Bronx with almost no expectations and they've been stellar. Come on, man. Matsui's expectation. He was called Godzilla. Yeah. But that's he because came in as like the, the guy, like an Otani. Yeah. But and, he, he came in as a freak. I agree. But, but I think the reason that he succeeded was because he was in New York, not because I think he was great. You drop him in St. Louis. I don't think he's Godzilla. I don't think he has the same level of success. And that's what I'm trying to say is that the back half of the career in Yankee stadium is the back half of a or is not the same as the back half of a career elsewhere, and that's what I'm trying to get at is that I think there's more in the tank here. The power is still very real. You're not talking about a guy going from 25 home runs to 15. You're talking about a guy going from 60 down to 35, and so there's still enough production there to justify the rank in the list for me. All right, fine. Let's not make this the stand podcast. We'll just say that I'm right and you're wrong, and we'll move on. <laughs> <coughs> so I, I, I mean, we're just danger. moving. In. we're just moving into another one of your ties guys um so why don't you go ahead and smack around i I mean this is listen i i like a lot of what the toronto blue jays are doing right now i am a fan but i am also a baseball guy and the type of talent that they're putting into their roster is different than what we're used to in toronto we're used to these big intimidating middle of the back or middle of the order bats. And we have a whole bunch of the complete opposite with the exception of Vladdy and well, Vladdy. So, um, you know, ultimately I I'm liking guys like Lourdes. Lourdes for me is easily the most underappreciated, underappreciated guy on the Jays roster. Lourdes Goriel Jr. For everybody who doesn't know him by Lourdes. So Lourdes (laughs) Goriel Jr. Oh, Number sorry. Ninth we're, ranked guy. We're on a first name basis, so don't worry about yeah. it, guys. It's all good. It's like me and me and Jerry, Jerry <laughs> yeah, DeBoto. Right. That's right. So, I mean, this is a kid that in the stretches he stayed healthy. Now, I will say this: I I'm scared more of his injury risk because his injury downside is a lot further down than Stanton's. But I do think that Lourdes is a lot younger. He is going to probably hit somewhere in a really reasonable reasonable spot in that lineup. Like, he was hitting three at some point early last season. So, like, he could very easily hit two or three, depending on how they want to f- put Vladdy in there. I, I, I don't think Kevin Biggio is going to be the guy at the top like everybody wants him to be. Um, so, I do think there's going to be a spot there for Lourdes, and it'll be interesting to see how they, how they handle him. But the kid can hit. He just he's a, he's a hitter. And he's big and lanky. A little bit of power is going to make him elite. And if he develops, he's just about to enter his prime. So I think a little bit of power could come out here and you could see a superstar. There's a reason they spent the money they spent on him uh, to sign that seven-year deal. I I think they've, they've found a, a, a hidden gem here in Guriel. And I would, I just want to preface it with, I also think the Jays might go after his brother in off season. And I think that could add to his value playing with his brother because they're very, very close. Um, and so that's part of the reason I like him. I also just think the Jays are one of the up and coming teams in all of baseball. So I, I think that's going to be part of Lourdes' success as well. 
his numbers certainly aren't bad. Like we know he had a really rough start last year. It got demoted, um, came back up because he was what was he struggling at shortstop, right? And then he he went down. Well, no, they tried to put him at second. He's a natural shortstop. And they were trying to make him play second. He couldn't. Oh, right, because Galvis was at short. That's yeah, right. they, yeah, yeah. He couldn't make the turn. Okay, so then they moved him back, threw him into the outfield, and and he and he stuck because he was hitting. So they just brought him back up because he was hitting, and he kept doing it. So he finished a pretty good line last year. But he's he's I mean, safe to say he's going to be a two eighty hitter. His his OPS should be eight hundred or above. And these are these are the good things we want. Like you said, Ty, you want to see more power out of him. And RBIs and things like that were not not bad for him. He was fifty RBIs and fifty two runs. He had three hundred and fourteen at bats. So let's well, say he gets a full season and he, he's somewhere in and around 600. Now we're talking about something, a guy that's in the nineties or higher. If that line stays the same. Well, um, and, and that's a 40, good 40 home run upside, right? Like, I mean, if you double his at bats this season, he hits 40 bombs in North of a hundred RBIs. So, right. you know, like that's a very relevant. Potential certainly there, right? Yeah, so like both of us see it last year. Cause I do need to mention this last year. We got, crapped on by a couple of listeners because we had apparently homered out in ranking Guriel way too high at shortstop. Do you remember that catching some slack? Uh, and I don't care because the kid can play baseball. You if, know where he, he, we had him ranked though, Ty? I forget. 14th, 14th at shortstop. And we're ranking him now combined at ninth. Yeah. Like we're not saying this is, this is the next superstar. We're saying, this is a really good baseball player and we watch him. So yeah. this is a guy that in your leagues, you might want to go ahead and make an investment in to get because all the peripherals are there for things yeah. to get better, not maintain. Yeah, I agree. So well, we agreed not that on we're homering out. Yeah. It's we, not that we're homering out. We're six points away and I had him at 13. You had him at seven. I so feel like every time we should agree, this should be. A- <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So, well, then let's go to number eight, Brian Reynolds of Pittsburgh. Do we uh, want to agree that that's good? He doesn't have as much MLB experience as Lourdes. It's not too far off, but he's certainly, well, I guess maybe the at-bats are probably about the same, but two seasons versus one. Um, Reynolds is heading into his age 25 season. Last year, 134 games. He had 83 runs. RBIs were low at 68. Home runs low at 16. Really nice average, 314, and on a really crappy Pittsburgh team, and and had the OBP, which is huge. If you're in an OBP league, Reynolds has to shoot up for you. 377 OBP and an 880 OPS. This is a guy who should have repeatable lines. Those those averages seemingly seemingly are high, but go ahead and look at his 16, 17, 18, and even in 19, the minor league stats. He's, he's a guy who's over 300. He takes some walks. Um, certainly would like him to take more. He was three to one last year, but career-wise, he's somewhere in and around two and a half Ks per nine, or sorry, uh, to a walk. So I like the line, and the OPS has consistently been over 800. Well, and I like it as a rookie with, with an average north of 300 with a good on-base percentage, you know, 50 walks in uh, roughly – 500 plate appearances or five, 550 if you take away the, the old walks there. So, or, or add in the walks, sorry. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to like here for sustainability, right? Like I don't, I, similar to what we're talking about um, with, with kind of a David Peralta, I think would be a good profile to look for out of Brian Reynolds, yeah. right? Like upside of 20, 25 home runs probably uh, would be the, would be the most you're going to see here. 
but you probably count on that 280 as a floor for a batting average. And that's, there's lots to like about that, especially in deeper uh, category leagues. Yeah. And there isn't a whole lot to talk about with him because we know it's not going to be great in Pittsburgh. So even if this year is a down year, seems like it, it's, you know, if, as long as the bottom's not falling out, the average is under 240 or something like that, I would still look to acquire him. He might be the guy, depending on if he's in front of Josh Bell, um, he might be the guy that's not getting good pitches. And if they're just trying to figure a way to get around him or away from him to somebody worse in the lineup, I would look to acquire him because over the course of the dynasty five-year period that we are working on here, he's going to get better. So, yeah, if, he, so if it doesn't look good today, it will be better tomorrow. If you're on the cusp, here's a roadmap to win your league this year. Pick him up in May after he hits a little sophomore start, and you'll be really happy about it come July. And depending on the status in your league, whether it's you know contracts, um, auction, however it works out, if he's on a rookie-type contract, he'll have value at that point. But this is where a reliever that gets off to a hot start can really help you in trade talks too. Somebody that's that's overachieving somewhere can help you on a guy that might underachieve elsewhere. So Brian Reynolds, good to go. Um, do you want to move on to seven here? We got a slightly older gentleman. Absolutely. The weirdest contract of the whole offseason, Marcelo Zuna. Uh, don't blame him for wanting to play in Atlanta. Certainly don't fault him for that. That team's going to be quite good this season. Uh, and, and ultimately, he's going to be a big piece of that. I, I think he's going to be a little bit better than the last couple guys we've talked about, with the exception of Stanton, over the next little stretch. I just think you've got a middle uh, or, or kind of a five-hole type guy here. So I think the RBI production is going to be there, and as a result, you're going to see the slugging percentage. So a little bit of a different profile than the last couple guys that we've talked about. And so for me, I think as he gets a little bit older, you're going to see him flip to the American League. And I think that's maybe why he signed a one-year deal, because the only teams that were chasing were National League rosters, and he probably didn't want to find himself uh, having to play left field because he sucks at it. Um, and so I think ultimately he's looking for an AL spot where he can kind of roll out into the DH every couple of days. So um, I'd like him to be productive in the AL at some point uh, moving forward, but he, there's no question as long as he's healthy that he's going to be an absolute force this season in a very, very good Atlanta lineup. And with Atlanta being really deep this year, last year, one of the fun fun bonuses that he offered you when the average was a lot lower than it has been in previous years, he was 241 average, he got you 12 steals. And that's, that's really important when he's struggling in one area. The OPS was still fine. It was 800. It was up from um, 18, but well down from the 924 of 17. That's fine, but it's nice that he was able to chip in with that. It also tells you that he's healthy because a guy that's hurt's not going to be making those plays and doing those moves. But, you know, the home runs are there. It, it should be a really good year. And like you said, Ty, if he transitions to an AL team, the at-bats and everything should go up. Hopefully the health. I mean, you know, you can get hurt doing anything. Um, what's it? Eric Swanson strained his back at his home in January. Uh, I just read that today because I was wondering what was going on with him and um, the pitcher for Seattle. And, and, yeah, he's not slated to be able to – be starting uh, or not starting um, not slated to be able to throw off of a mound at this point. So yeah, weird that's, things that's, happen. That's the classic. We changed his mechanics and we want to put him on the uh, injured reserve uh, <laughs> for a while. That's, that's the classic. Oh, it happened at home. Yeah. I've seen that before. 
but yeah, ultimately Ozuna has a relatively healthy track record. So there's not a lot to be concerned with in the injury side. Uh, he had a blip last year that I think has people thinking a little too hard about it. It was minor. It was towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. Um, but there's lots to like here. I mean, the, the, the only thing that really scares me is the dip in the batting average last season. Uh, but the power is very real. And I think the production is going to be just fine this season. And, and I think he's got one shot here at a big contract in his career. And this is the make or break year for him to do that. So he's going to have a lot on the line. So we'll see how he handles that pressure. Could be a really good thing for fantasy owners. It could also be a disaster if he holds the bat a little too tight. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that average dip, final point on him, I promise everybody, is that it didn't come with a huge spike in uh, Ks. He still had somewhere, I mean, it's been career average, but he still had somewhere just over 100 and what was it, 114 last year. Yep. But in a full season for him, that would still put him around 150. That's around his norm. So maybe there was some bad Babbitt. I didn't look. I don't have that in front of me. But to me, it's just an interesting thing that I think Osuna and several people have said it for redraft purposes. This is a guy that could bounce back very well. So number six, this will be the quickest guy we talk about. Jeff McNeil. We talked about him uh, on the second base episode, realized afterwards in order to keep ourselves honest, he played more at left field than second base. Uh, Ty, you had talked about the fact that Cano is their second baseman. We had a great conversation about it. You're welcome to go back and listen, everybody, to the second base episode. You will get great information out of that because I had McNeil ranked very high. I have him at my number four for left field. Um, go and listen to the breakdown on that. We don't need to waste or spend the time on that one more time. Um, but McNeil will not in all likelihood be a left fielder. It's just that we needed to keep ourselves honest here. And that's where he played the most last year. So, um, do you want to skip to five here? Skip us ahead to five. I know this is quote your guy. Yeah. David Dahl is one of my guys. I think, um, again, we talk about team post hype so often and David Dahl is a returning member of team post hype. So I, I just think, uh, there's been many, many, many guys throughout the history of baseball that had rough starts to the career injury-wise, settled in for very long, sustainable um, season, or, uh, careers. So Ian they, Kinsler. Ian yeah. Kinsler. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's lots of guys that have had the timeline uh, of David Dahl. This is a, an above-replacement guy that I think still has lots to offer. He's entering his age 26 season, right? He's still very young. And there's lots to offer. He's going to get the shot in Colorado to be one of the guys, right? Not just my guy, but one of Colorado's guys. And I know everybody's laughing at Colorado because they think they're going to make the playoffs. It's not that unrealistic. That lineup is good enough to power them. It's all about whether their pitching can hold them in games. And so David Dahl is going to be a piece that, you know, he, he – Still didn't kind of crack a full season last year. Hundred games. Real, yeah, you'd really like to see him do that at some point uh, before you get excited. <laughs> right? It would be really, really nice. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm waiting for that to happen. But uh, ultimately, I also want to be on the other side of that in ownership of David Dahl. I've owned him in a lot of leagues uh, the last season or so. I'm going to continue to do that because the the player is there. He can play. The batting average is there. The OPS is there. The power is there. And again, very similar to, to Lourdes Gurriel, who we talked about, the full season production numbers are very, very good. And so for that reason, I'm all over David Dahl. 
David Dahl just needs to play a full season. Like you said, Ty, it's all there. We need to see it put together. He's, he's getting my ninth spot, your fourth, because you're believing the health is not going to be a long-term concern. The last four seasons, we have 63 games, then injury for 17, 77 games, and 100. There are minor league games in this as well. So 16, I think, was a healthy season for him. But he's just got a track record of injuries. I don't know what it is that he's got to do to turn it around, but absolutely the player, the stats we've seen, the guy we have seen, is a justified top 10 left fielder. Absolutely. We just need to see it. So if over the next five years, we see three and a half healthy seasons of David Dahl, good Lord, it's going to look awesome. The one thing that I would love to see more of um, just because it's Colorado would be if he was able to get the ball out of the park a little more, but he's doing such a great job and getting, I mean, it's Colorado. So there's tons of doubles. The OPS is good. Um, It's just that we don't see him walking a lot but the OBP is well last year was 353. So it's hard to overly complain. You, you're trying to get a little technical with the guys at this point in time. How are they helping you the most in dynasty formats? Um, David Dahl just helps you. He just needs to be healthy to continue to do it. If, if you had like a, I don't know what the most worrisome combo could be of like Stanton uh, Dahl. And who's the other guy that would worry the Gallows out of you. Eh, come on <laughs> sorry come on okay well we'll move on to him that number four is joey gallo of texas um two years ago i think i think he was like third base first base type and now we're pretty sure next year we'll be talking about gallo as the center fielder because that seems to be where he's going to slot in now i'll go off on my he's my number two ranked guy ty's got him at eight so why don't you tell everybody your theory here on why Gallo might be a center fielder. Cause I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've just seen a, a transition in the way baseball is played, right? You used to have guys that sprayed the gaps, hit to all fields, and now you have a heavy dosage of pull hitters. And as a result, the center fielder is becoming less and less relevant. And I think you can see it in the talent that's playing center field, right? We've got a couple superstars, but beyond that, it's, it's a thin position. And ultimately, uh, you're starting to see the speed go to the corners, right? You know, we talked about it with Colorado. Colorado had David Dahl set up in center. Now, for me, that doesn't fit because the center field in Colorado is the biggest in, in, on the planet. Um, and so, as a result, you probably want some speed there. But that said, like, you're seeing speed to the corners, and they're kind of trimming the, the center fielder and, and cornering him just because there's more shots down the line. And... Um, over the the outfielders uh, into the bleachers. So I think they're just trying to defend it a little bit differently. And I think that's why guys like Joey Gallo, guys like Yasuke Hernandez, who in all past history would have never even got a, a look in center field. Ian Happ as well in Chicago. Correct. Yeah. I, I mean, now, I don't think he's going to take that job, but that's a different conversation for another episode. Not, uh, David Ross said today, so we're here, what are we, the 27th, David Ross reported today that he thinks he's going to give the job or he said he would give the job full-time to Ian Happ. Yeah, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm betting that's not the case by the end of spring training. Uh, and we'll get into that in our center fielder episode. But um, that's why the, the corners are becoming more and more important. Guys like Schwarber are a rarity, right? Guys like... Uh, yeah well Calhoun's a little bit faster though for a stocky guy um, but but you're just not seeing the same guys that you used to see the uh, uh, who or Greg Vaughn of left field from after uh, uh, San Diego right like 
those guys don't exist in the outfield. Like Sammy Sosa was okay in the outfield, but he probably wouldn't be a corner outfielder in today's game, right? So, you know, it's just it's a differing approach to playing defense, becoming more important, but they don't have the same spots to hide those bats. Uh, and it's making decisions interesting. Gallo's one of those guys that finds himself in center field now. Yeah, and four, uh, yeah, whatever. Three full seasons for Gallo, let's say, because he had a little bit in 15 and 16, but full seasons in 17, 18, and then an injury last year, it's solidified. Gallo's big thing everybody was complaining about was the average. So if you're in an OBP league, he's fine because he's consistently over 300. Last year, he was 389. Um, slugging percentage, never an issue, which means your OPS is going to be perfectly fine. Last year was just under a thousand and he still had what? 22 dingers in da, 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 240 Great. at bats or plate appearances. Sorry, at bats. So it's fine. He's good. He gets a lot of walks as well. Yes. He K's he's going to K like 200 times. If you're in a K league, certainly knock him down accordingly. Maybe he would be more around a 10, I am going to let that go because I think he proved that his average at 250 can make him an elite player. And I love the fact that he could be the only guy who is safely hitting 50 home runs in the outfield year after year. And if he is going to end up as a center fielder, okay, cool. I'm just going to assume that's going to mean his conditioning is going to be even better, but he's not going to be trimming down to the point that he loses any kind of power. So I love him. He's 26. He's hitting that prime right now. Good things abound for Joey Gallo. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's not a lot to be scared of necessarily with Joey Gallo. You just have to know that you're probably punting strikeouts and batting average if you own Joey Gallo. Like, if you're in a category format, like, you're probably going to give up those two categories. I don't like to give up batting average. That's why I don't have Joey Gallo as high. It just doesn't fit my team profile as well. I never care about strikeouts. I never have, never will. Um but batting average does matter a little bit more for me. And so that's my big reason why I have Gallo ranked further back. I, all the other stats are, are promising. He just, again, doesn't fit my profile. And, and that's the main reason I don't have him as high as you do, Rob. Okay. Well, why don't you talk about the next guy, the Red Sox, who, after I said the stat line, I said, I don't even know why I've got him ranked fifth, but he ended up third for us. Well, I mean, and that's, and that's Ben attendee. And, you know, this is a guy that, um, you know, definitely, uh, has some people scared, right? I, I mean, I acquired him in one of our contract leagues. Uh, he still has the on-base percentage. You know, last season we were we were looking at a 343, and that in most people's minds is a disaster, right? That's still a very respectable on-base percentage. Uh, the batting average was just 266. The home runs were, were 13 in 541 at-bats uh, with, like I said, a reasonable amount of walks. So, Again, you can't really see Benatendi seeing a major downturn. For me, there's only room to grow. If the power continues to evolve, he's entering his age 25 season, so he's still very, very young. Not the first guy to have power develop at the age of 25. And, oh, by the way, this is his fourth major league season with a cup of, a cup of coffee and a fifth. So, you know, ultimately – there's lots here. There's experience. There's a good roster. You've lost Mookie Betts, so you're not going to give up a bat in a deep outfield like you did last year. And he's probably going to find himself in the one, two, three area of that lineup. 
And that makes him very dangerous. And I think 30 home runs this year is, is on the table. It's by no means a lock. Do not take that as a lock because it's not. But I think it's a very realistic outbreak or breakout here. Outbreak's a bad word right now. Um, but <laughs> breakout, breakout for Ben and Pendy um, is definitely an interesting opportunity. And, and I'm excited to, to see everybody be wrong on Ben and Pendy this season. Time will tell. Number two on our list, Eloy Jimenez, Chicago White Sox. I got him at three. You've got him at two. He's a 23-year-old, or this is his age 23 season. Broken last year, if you didn't already know, in 122 games, lit the world on fire in a few stat categories, 31 dingers, 69 runs, 79 RBIs. Um, issue was clearly a 4-1 to one. Uh, K to walk, he had 134 Ks, 30 walks. The average was fine at 267, but it was certainly his lowest um, since what his first pro year at age 17. And uh, OBP is okay, just just of 315, and OPS at 828. We obviously, I th- I think consensus agree this will get better. We've talked about all the other White Sox players as having improving lineup and improved success expected so for Jimenez I don't know if it's going to be some categories might pick up some may stay the same through the course of a season but I mean this this is a a really good baseball player in an awesome lineup so the AL Central is going to be tough for Kansas City to get better in for Detroit to get better in um yeah you know, it's like, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, this this is light tower power here. I mean, this is a very young kid with a lot to offer. I mean, ultimately, the only two guys that I think are ahead of him uh, currently in the power profile would be the aforementioned Gallo and and Stanton, right? Like the rest of the group, you might say Jock Peterson and Tyler O'Neill, maybe down the way could essentially have some of but this profile. But they no need one a perfect is a scenario to correct get, to get to that. Point. Yeah. And no one's as balanced as Eloy. Like he hit 270 last year in his rookie season after absolutely failing to do anything but hit home runs in his first 20 games. So, uh, you know, if you, if you settle in the, the, the remainder of his season and then you stretch it out over a full season this year, it, it's going to be very interesting. He finished last year with 125 hits. Uh, so there's lots to offer there. In, in just 400 and what is that 68 at bats so ultimately lots to like with Eloy uh but he's not number one so who is our number one Robbie I think it's an obvious one it's the one that haunts me every day um after the worst trade of my fancy baseball career it's just too bad the trade didn't come to me because I inquired I meant to pick him up but I didn't think he was going to get the early call up it's Juan Soto everybody Juan Soto Washington National so a perfect scenario can develop where Eloy Jimenez has the Juan Soto stat line of 2019, which is with a full season. So that's 500. Well, the plate appearance is over 600, 150 games played, um, 34 home runs, 110 runs, 110 RBI. Now the walks are not going to be there. 108 walks. That's the difference here. Juan Soto is achieving what, uh, Jimenez at an ideal point could, but he hasn't shown the ability. But 108 walks, 132 Ks, 282 average, OBP just over 400, uh, 950 OPS. This is one amazing player. 
And at age 21, my gosh, no wonder well, and, he's, he's number one for the left fielders. And, and I definitely overreacted to some holes in his swing. I was mortified of some things I saw in his rookie season. And as mentioned it in previous episodes, this is a kid that absolutely corrected the things that I did not like. And, you know, he has a very disciplined but free-flowing swing. And, you know, you look at his big home runs in the playoffs last year, uh, the one-off Kershaw was was crucial. Um, but this is a kid that has all the right things to be a superstar. He was ninth in MVP voting last year. But, you know, if you look at him as a table setter as well as a power profile, he's just very dangerous. He's He is a Mike Trout type without the stolen bases. Um, but the rest of his profile is very, very, very good. Yeah. A deserving number one. Um, number two is a deserving number two based on the potential. And then we've got good question marks with three and four. Benny and Gallo, very different players. David Dahl, we need to see. A healthy season out of Jeff McNeil arrived on the scene. Um, might not be on here next year. Ozuna, aging guy. We're hoping for big things. Brian Reynolds at eight, Lourdes at nine, and Stanton at 10. It's a really good list. When you get into the guys at the other end of the list, um, that is the difference between winning and losing your fantasy leagues, which is what we're always talking about. It's easy to just uh, listen to redraft fantasy and get very uh, like-minded information from a whole bunch of podcasts. Our plan, our hope, our desire is to give you those niche changes that help you turn a 500 team into a playoff contender and a league champion. Absolutely. And make sure you address the left field position early in any draft this season. If you're not having returning players fill that role, be sure to hammer it and get it done early because getting guys late in this category will hurt you. So um, definitely, definitely a, a one you want to move early on. Absolutely. And next up, are we going to go to the center or are we going to head right? Uh, let's go to right and then we can finish okay. with center because um, just because really. So, Sounds good. And then we'll been, do the overall outfield episode. So, well, I guess we're going to have to uh, bang out some content really quickly for everybody so that uh, we're not spending two plus weeks on the outfield, but yeah, the big outfield board will include all of the future prospects because as we went through the left center and right, obviously there's two formats, either play a full outfield or you play it by position. And we decided that in order to properly vet the prospects that could end up in multiple categories, we would include them in the big board. So you'll notice as we mentioned off the top that we're not including them in these episodes, but they will be included um, at the end in the big board. So you have any questions feel free to hit us up on twitter again at robbie baseball at tourney bots or at the pod at dingers pod so until next time it's been pilot and rob on dingers this is dingers way more than fantasy baseball we keep it real when we talk and knock it straight out the park <laughs> let's see the stats what's the average draft position what kind of plays you making check the wins above replacement check the lineups and the points this i gotta see what's your path to victory are they aiming for a dynasty get points going head to head please don't do me no favors we're always watching waivers ain't no minor league this is major yeah dingers let's go